Hello everybody, this is Dr. Fred. I am responsible, I am accountable, I am capable of assisting people to find their true voice and then deliver it effectively into the world around us. With 40 years in in mental health, 32 of them as a psychiatrist, and then a massive amount of conversations, including podcasting and expert speaking, keynote speaking, I have the opportunity to really see the magic that it takes to find one's authentic self and then deliver it effectively into the world. And if you're like me, you can see that now more than ever, that's what's called for. So today is that day. Now is that time. Come forth. Join me in the broadcast. You'll see on the other side of this at True Voice with Dr. Fred. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, wherever you are. It is a deep pleasure to be with you again today. Thank you so much for showing up. And if you're someone who's actually been here before and you haven't subscribed yet, I'm going to ask you to subscribe or at least leave a review or a like on whatever platform you're catching this particular broadcast on. My name is Dr. Fred, and the name of the show is uh, either True Voice Podcasting or, or really more affectionately known as True Voice with Dr. Fred. And I'm going to speak today a little bit about um, not only how I got to be who I am, but kind of some of the things I'm going through these days that confirm that I've made quite an amazing step, if you will, (laughs) towards being authentic, towards being aligned with why I came here to earth. Boy, it's taken something for me to finally be pushed up against the wall, have my back up against the wall to decide that to be duplicitous or to pretend to be somebody else that I'm not in order to somehow protect the person I am from having my heart broken uh, is an ineffective and ludicrous uh, strategy, one that can't work, one that does not work, and one that's old, and one that I've been doing fairly incessantly uh, for many years. I even venture to guess that there's a part of you, either large or small or unidentified or perhaps one that you really know about, for which you are acting like someone that you are not to protect the person that you are. This is really an absurd, an absurd way of managing life. I mean, after all, being someone that you're not doesn't in any way protect the person that you are. And if you're doing that in order to prevent yourself from being ostracized or disappointed or causing damage or being canceled or censored or hated or thrown off the island one way or another, then I invite you to see that it's going to happen anyways. You know, it's going to happen to a big crew of the people who listen to you anyways. You're going to have people who don't like you. You're going to have people who say they don't like you. You're going to have people who... um, disagree with you, or even vote to have you off of the proverbial island. So with that said, if it really doesn't even protect effectively, then, and if it's going to happen anyways, then I invite you to take the easy route. And the easy route is actually to be yourself. Now, we might think that it's easier not to be ourselves because we have this really old and, shall I say, obsolete vision that if we should be someone else but ourselves, that therefore we will protect ourselves from having the actual heart broken. But that isn't how it goes either. Our hearts do get broken. And in some ways, when we're choosing to be someone that we're not, we know it deep inside that we're doing that. We know that we're pretending. We know that we might be lying even. And we certainly know that we're being pretentious or duplicitous. 
the amount of pain that comes with that and the amount of energy that has to go into satisfying that perspective or that way of being is uh, extraordinary. I mean, there's a, there's a boatload, there's a yacht load, there's a, you know, a, 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 an ocean liner load of things that have to go into pretending to be somebody that you're not in order to protect the person that you are. So what should we do? Maybe you've been getting away with saying and doing things that are inconsistent with who you are, or maybe you've been getting away with not saying things that you know you should say, or maybe you've been getting away with saying things that are simply not true in order to effectively meet the demands of being afraid of delivering your true self for fear that you might get into trouble or cause damage or be, or be hurt in some way. So what I invite you to do is just to become aware of that and see that that's what we all did. That's what we've all been doing. And some of us to a greater and more obvious degree of others. And some of us just like really go through the world acting like we know what we're doing and just following a prevailing conversation and acting like we know that, you know, the best we can do is be sort of the, you know, one fifth of the person we know ourselves to be. I invite you to really look at what true voice means now. And true voice has a a near synonym called authentic voice or core voice, core message, uh, sheer alignment, um, you know, radical authenticity, radical genuineness. What is that? What that is, is taking the opportunity to express where you are at any given second. Now, This also becomes very, very challenging because where we are at any given second actually changes second by second. It may change only incrementally or it may even change drastically with a new piece of news or just the entry of a new thought, feeling or emotion. So describing where we are at any given moment is a linear linear, um, exercise because actually sentence structure goes through time. So when I start speaking to who I am at any given second, I am then renting out the next several seconds or minutes to get my explanation or my description of my present experience out to you. Now, what that means is it's not accurate and couldn't be accurate because where I am when I end the sentence is actually in a significantly different space than where I was when I started the sentence, trying to give to you where I was at any, at that given point. That's why words don't describe, words don't qualify as an adequate mechanism for getting to somebody else exactly where we are at any given moment. Now, we don't have that much of a better way to do it, but that means that there's always a flaw always a flaw, always a, uh, a, let's say, a non-negligible difference between what we say, how we say it, how it gets heard, how it gets processed and listened to, and then how it gets incorporated into a listener's ear when we describe who we are, what we do, what we think, or what our ideas, dreams, or wishes, or fears, anxiety, or regrets, and those things are. These things don't stick. I mean, we like to think that they stick and we even blame people for not sticking. So someone says something now and then tomorrow they say something about the now that, 
you know, they're now then they say, so someone says something now, and then tomorrow they say something about the now that's going to place, take place then. And if there's difference, it's like an opportunity to take a shot at that person as if somehow they are representing some degree of authenticity because they didn't stay the same. It's, it's also a very unfortunate um, uh, uh, habit that us humans have to blame someone or to give someone heat for not staying the same and saying the same exact thing tomorrow that they said today, even about a particular issue. Things happen. There is different ideas that enter our world, different uh, contexts or different circumstances that step in the way of how we see how the world is being for us in any given moment. And when things happen, how we see the world changes accordingly. Now, what does this change? Well, it's interesting, you know, second by second by second, if we're really just able to experience life at any given second, we could say that every second is different than the last, but we don't have to see that as a change from the last. We just see it as being that there's only a capacity to experience the now. There's only a capacity to actually experience what we're going through this very moment. If, in fact, we start remembering what we felt like just a few seconds ago and describing that, that is simply a memory, a memory that has gone through a significant amount of filters to get to be what you recall and how you recall it as representing the past. So it's no more or less accurate to speak about the past memory than it is to speak about the now, given the uh, deficiencies or the discrepancies in our capacity to use linear language to speak about the now, or indeed to speak about our concerns about the future as if they are uh, locked in, as if they are, um, you know, uh, uh, should I say, um, uh, stable or um, permanent. Now, Sam Morris and I have had discussions like this on a number of occasions, including the last couple of podcasts that we've been on. And I want to say something about, you know, if you want to speak to Sam or me, I'm going to give you the number here in a moment that I'd like you to call in. Um, Sam was a little late coming on today's podcast, and I fully expect him in about four minutes. And I'm going to go over with him a little bit of some of the things that we're talking about with respect to describing the now the inherent deficiency or inadequacy of using words to describe now, and the inherent deficiency and adequacy to compare any now to any past, or in fact, be able to predict any future based on any now, and how we do that you know, generally and with some degree of confidence that we're accurate, right, or true. When we start looking at all of this, the whole world becomes somewhat nebulous. My my wife, my life, my life partner, my uh, beloved, you know, she reminds me that all of us sort of need what she likes to call the bottom of the pool to push off of, like something that we hold to be true so that we can create a thought or an idea, a feeling so that we can create a notion, uh, something that we can describe, something that we can share, something that we can explain uh, so that we can call ourselves as if we have some identity. So, you know, I call myself Dr. Fred and, and I call myself Dr. Fred over the last several years. But I think before then, before I finally decided to have the audacity, it seemed to call myself Dr. Fred, I would call myself Dr. Moss. And then 
before that, I would call myself um, Mr. Moss. And then before that, I think I was Fred. And before that, I was Freddie. And I've gone back on many of those names. Still, I would respond if someone calls me Freddie. And Dr. Fred is sort of the name that I like to call myself. Now, have I changed, actually? Is this person that's calling himself these multiple names actually different than when I call myself? In other words, does calling myself a different name create a different person? I think the average person would say, well, no, you're the same person. You just gave yourself a different name. But I'm going to suggest that it's possible to get that when I give myself a different name, I actually am a different person. I get that if I'm talking from little Fred, little Freddie's standpoint, there's a whole new perspective, a whole new point of view that is dictating or contributing directly to how it is that I'm going to describe how I see the world. See, little Freddie is an elementary school student who was, you know, one of the smarter kids in school, liked to read, liked to do math like to be funny and not follow directions and, you know, like to play sports, especially like basketball, because I was so tall that I could score with ease. And, uh, you know, like to just play, play with friends and play, you know, play baseball, play. I really did love baseball and like to watch baseball or read the sporting page. That's little Freddie. Now, most of little Freddie, Dr. Fred doesn't do anymore. Now, I, I still like to play. I still like to have fun. I still like to read. But it's a different kind of reading for a different purpose. I'm not reading Henry Huggins just to see the wonder of reading. Perhaps I'm reading Alan Watts just to learn a little bit about other ways to manage this you know, rather mm, confusing or discombobulating life that we're all sharing So recently, that is what I've been reading, is a little bit more of Alan Watts, a little bit more of um, philosophies that at least help me resonate with the reader, with the writer in such a way that has me, uh, at least for the moment, feel more human. What does it mean to feel human? Well, what it means to feel human is exactly how I'm feeling at any given moment. Right now, I would say that what it means to be human is it means to, as best I can, set aside the things that are in the way of me thinking I'm anything else but what I'm experiencing right at this moment. Um, We've been talking about him for the last few minutes, so I just want to, again, welcome my good friend and co-host to the True Voice with Dr. Fred, and really should be after we, this this is a fourth episode we've done together, it's going to be True Voice with Sam and Dr. Fred, or who we like to call each other, um, uh, the wizard and the warrior. So um, it's uh, uh, you can guess which one of us is the wizard and which one is the warrior. You'd probably be wrong. It doesn't matter. And the, here's the thing. The thing that's really interesting, Sam, and I said, just talking about this is I was asking the question is if, uh, you know, is Dr. Fred actually a different person than Dr. Moss, which is a different person than Fred Moss, which is a different person than Mr. Moss, which is a different person than Fred, which is a different person than Freddie. All of those names I have responded to in this lifetime, and I first, you know, most people say, no, you just called yourself different names. But I think by the names that we take on, we actually somehow pick up the persona of what those names mean to us if we have the audacity to change our names. So without further ado, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad you made it to the show. And I'd love to hear what you got to say about all that stuff. Fred, Dr. Fred, unfred, unfred, undoctor, (laughs) doctor, undoctor, Fred, Freddie. Yeah. (laughs) 
um, I just noticed that you're, for those who are listening and not viewing this, I noticed that you're wearing this white t-shirt and have this long uh, gray beard and it kind of looks like you could be in a cult. So I'm wondering if that's part of your identity too. Are you maybe, have you, have you, first of all, we've never discussed this. Have you ever been in a cult before, Fred? Um. You know, we were so talking. I suppose to, because of the fact that it took a little bit of time to answer that question, you've at least sort of played around with Oh, yeah, for sure. I've played around with the idea. We were talking about this. We have to define cult or how. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Apparently, what Alexander tells me is that there are 18 components to what it means to be a cult, like 18 different descriptions or requirements to be a full cult. Mm. And the sect that best meets those definition is Christianity. Mm. There is no part of being a cult that Christianity doesn't meet the criteria for. Mm. With all that said, I've never been a Christian. So that's not me. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I have been in organizations that have been accused of being Mm. cult-like. So, you know, Landmark Education, for instance, uh, Mm -hmm. has been accused of being cult-like. I don't think Landmark Education is a cult in the broadest Mm -hmm. derogatory sense. Mm -hmm. But I could see where, you know, if you don't know very much about it, if you've not been in it, you know, there's some criteria. It's almost like cult guy. Share some attributes. What's that? Share some attributes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think the word cult with... uh, Back in the day, you know, when it was, uh, was it Waco or wherever, you know, Jim Jones or wherever it was, uh, you know, the word cult just took on such a negative meaning as if, right. you, were, uh, you know, and, but, but it wasn't really anything before that. It wasn't mm. something to be ashamed of. It was just a certain kind of group of people. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know if I've been in a cult or if I'm in one right now. Mm, you could be. I mean, I could be. And the beard and the white shirt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you, I've actually are, been you? brainwashing you to be in my cult and you don't even know it. Yeah, you might be a cult leader. It's very the, the Zen warrior cult. You might be that. Yeah. So so what was this inquiry that you're working with before here about all the different ways that we can show up, which are all sort of aspects of different of different aspects right. of our psyche, our identity? Is that what you're well, referring to? The whole thing I was referring to was um, coming on the heels of having read Watts for a little bit this afternoon. I was talking mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, the experience of now versus the experience of the, or the illusion of the past versus the illusion of the future. And that once we start to speak to whatever our experience is using linear language, we get stuck with the idea that, uh, in fact, we, we therefore we mathematically cannot describe our present circumstance because we have to string together words, which takes up time to do so. And by the time that we're on, we're done with our sentence, we're actually in a significantly different space than where we were when we started. Absolutely. Therein lies the problem. I think I'm just going to shut up and stop talking for the rest of this podcast. And then just, I'll just be in the now to the best of my ability. I, I know. Right. But it's really, the longer your sentence is, the more jamming you do on a sentence, the further away you get from where you were when you started, but it doesn't really matter how far you are away from where you were when you started, because one second or one nanosecond after you got started, you were already in an entirely different space than where you were when you got started. So the idea that we use language in any kind of linear form as our primary descriptor explainer or observing um, mechanism for communication 
is so inherently flawed. And what are we supposed to do with that? I mean, what, you know, it, indeed, it makes you want to just stop and just be in the now. Okay, I got nothing to say about anything because I'm no longer accurate about anything that I say about anything. What are we supposed to do? Well, you know, sometimes I, uh, in in my moments of sort of fantasizing about a different life, uh, I frequently fantasize about a nonverbal life. Mm. Uh-huh. Just, just doing whatever I can to get my affairs in order so mm-hmm. that I can live life without actually having to speak at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, it's... you know, there are a lot of, uh, that, that's, that's something that has been done. There are people out there, including in this country who are living functional lives who have mm-hmm. not uttered a word in years. And I, uh, there's a part of me that romanticizes about what that perspective must be like, what that experience must be like to just mm-hmm. give up using words altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like almost all damage, all damage done to the human race is a function of words. It does seem that way. So, you know, Have you the read fact- the alphabet versus the goddess, Fred. I've, I've read pieces of it. I do love the book. Tell me more about what you're about to reference. All right. So the alphabet versus the god, the goddess, uh, trying to remember the name of the author. Uh, maybe yeah. I can pull it up here while I'm, I feel like it's one of those things that I should probably. Yeah. It's a guy, it's a neurologist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, he, wrote, uh, he wrote about, I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave it without Leonard Schlein. Yeah. Yeah. He died no, a number of years ago, but, uh, he, he's fascinating. The alphabet versus the god, the goddess poses a theory about, human civilization and the patriarchy and how before uh, the written language was popularized in, in basically every culture throughout history that has adopted the written language has turned into a patriarchal culture. And before that were matriarchal and that there is a, um, this is a function of the way in which we construct language to create meaning. Hmm. And that we take, or when we string individual symbols, or when we take these individual symbols and we draw them in such a way as to create a, a symbol that means something, such as a letter, and then we put those letters together to create words that the phonetic pronunciation, and then we string those words together to create sentences and paragraphs and so forth. What we're actually doing is that that requires a specific type of use of the brain, which in, in order to do that, in order to accomplish that, taking the abstraction, turning the abstraction into something that we believe somehow has some sort of concrete definition to it. And then uh, such as a letter and then creating greater definitions out of letters put together in words, et cetera, sentences, et cetera, that that process innately requires a part of the brain that could be considered a more masculine aspect of the brain, a more masculine side of the brain. Create, going from rational to linear through our linear reduction of the abstract into some sort of time-based understanding of language. 
And that by doing so, it is actually created a more masculinized culture. It's not something that was ever done intentionally, but that it took us away from the abstract imagery that was common in matriarchal cultures for millennia and replaced it with linearity and, and, uh, and order based on that linearity, which essentially is a more masculine sort of orientation. So essentially they're saying there's, it's nothing really sort of conspiratorial about it. It's just simply the way that the brain has to learn how to take those abstractions and turn them into linear meaning creates a more masculine orientation. This is very interesting. So the implication uh, of this, at least that I, I, te- I tend to, as a man, I want to either be defensive or blame men for it being so much less accurate or less available to, you know, to get to the, uh, the novelness of mysticism and spirituality at the core of all experience. Like, I want to get that men are just so wrong, you know, like this is so wrong to have attempted to create linearity to help explain the world. And I don't think that that's really what you're referencing here. I think, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, because then, you know, after patriarchy, then came war, then came an end of these civilizations or something like this. Because I don't have it that a matriarch, you know, I don't know how many, I'd have to look back uh, some ways, uh, I suppose, to find matriarchal societies that um, don't or that create um, violence-based life-ending wars against different factions. Uh, that in fact, the words that we choose, those sentences that we create, and the misunderstandings or even the understandings that we create in our efforts to put to string together word sentences, paragraphs, thoughts, ideas, treatises, etc., um, <clears throat> are always the tools that can be used to create ultraviolence, you know, can be used to create uh, self-destruction or, or warring factions in a society. And that somehow the matriarchal, and I think you are referencing this part, is a little bit more gentle, a little bit more understanding, maybe significantly more understanding of the compassion of what it, of the soft and sweet and, but even not necessarily uh, gushy, but the soft and sweet and uh, often indescribable ways of being that must have predated uh, uh, are this primary form of talk, 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 because it really, I'm kind of sick of talking now already. And I'm wondering if the podcast is almost over. <laughs> Maybe we better go to a commercial. Let's get a commercial right now. I'm kind of done with the shit. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Fred again. I wanted to explain to you a little bit about one of the names I have called the Undoctor. What is the Undoctor? Well, after about 15 years in the field of me being misaligned with what I was doing, because I was medicating people even knowing that medications were not the right answer, and I was diagnosing people even though I didn't always believe that they had the diagnosis that I said that they had, even though they did meet the criteria, etc., I like seeing humans for exactly who they are and who they're not, and not as a diagnosis. So in 2006, I began the process of becoming the undoctor. I unmedicated, undiagnosed, 
and then undoctrinated a bunch of people. Like people no longer had to come to a psychiatrist because their condition's clear. This isn't true for everyone. It may not be true for you, but for some folks who know that their diagnosis doesn't fit and who know that they don't want to keep going through with medications and don't want to be seen as someone who's defective or afflicted, this turned out to be a great intervention. Over time, I stopped doing that, and I no longer do a whole lot of conventional psychiatry. Now I just help people walk through their life and find their true voice. I connect with people straight up, not as if there's a power gradient between a doctor and a patient, but it's two humans connecting and resonating with each other. As it turns out, that's where all healing emanates from. So today, I've developed the Welcome to Humanity brand over the last six or seven years, and that really takes into consideration all of this. It is self-explanatory. Basically, each and every experience that we have with humanity is just as exquisite as another, even if it's deeply uncomfortable. From there, we get to actually share these human experiences. From there, we get to resonate and connect, and from there, healing takes place. I also have been helping people with their true voice, and that's why you're here today at True Voice with Dr. Fred. I help people find that true voice, really their authentic self, their core value system, and then deliver it effectively into a world that is eagerly awaiting to hear you. Without your voice, no one will ever hear you. And without your true voice, no one will ever know you. But with your true voice, you can find healing, peace, and love. True voice is what it takes to end all wars. So welcome to True Voice with Dr. Fred. Yeah, Sam. So welcome to True Voice. It looks like what we're doing here is we're creating a resonating combination of uh, personalities and uh, shared sentences where somehow there's a resonance and in that resonance, some musicality that then at least masquerades as healing. So if that's true... Like, what the hell? I, I, is it even possible? To, what What the hell is that all about? I might have to yeah. redo my whole brand, bro. This is, uh, I'm, I feel a little threatened here. And uh, uh, what are we going to uh, do about true voice and resonance and healing and music? Maybe you could speak to this as a musician. Let's talk mm, to okay. this as a sure. musician. Because okay. it's that, you know, resonance is a mu- musical world, a, a word, right, sure. uh, of yeah. course. So talk to me about what it means. You've said before, you know, this idea of just the other night, you said something about if you think about the time or you start getting, you know, start like there's something that happens and you fall off track and you're no longer in tune with your fellow uh, bandmates or musicians uh, playing yeah. together. Talk to this. Yeah, please. sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, when we're talking about, um, yeah, there's a whole lot here, really, because we could be talking about resonance and we could be talking about being in the now. Uh, for example, if if you are, it's really easy to sort of take this abstraction of being in the now and, um, and, and try to sort of sense, am I in the now? Am I, am I communicating in the now? Am I living in the now? Uh, when you're playing music, especially with other musicians, you know right away because you're either feeling the groove with them, you're following along, 
or if or you're not. And if you're not following along, you're not actually contributing what you need to be contributing to the, the music. You're playing something else. You're on a different tune. You're on a different beat or whatever. And uh, I, I remember back when I was in music school years ago, you know, 30 years ago, and I would uh, I'd make a mistake uh, reading some music because I'm not a good music reader, never been a good music reader. And uh, so I would make a mistake and my brain would want to correct the mistake. That was the first thing that would happen is I would be like, oh, damn it. And the even that little impulse to want to correct the mistake would throw me off of, of the of following along with where the music was going. So the music doesn't care whether I made the mistake or not. The music keeps going. The rest of the musicians keep going. My mistake is my mistake. That has now happened in the past. And if I'm trying to correct the mistake, then I've actually put my brain in the past trying to correct the past experience and I'm no longer with the music. So, uh, and even little subtle thoughts can trigger these types of experiences when you are playing music. Like for example, in a jam session, if you're improvising, you can get really locked into a groove together and think, wow, yeah, we're really feeling it together. And there's this, this really, there's this shared experience of we are in this groove together. We're really feeling it. But the moment, all it takes is the thought, wow, we're really in this together. All it takes is that thought to sometimes derail you from actually being in the moment together. So it's these very insidious little mental things that happen to us that derail us from the experience of the moment. And, you know, the train is going to keep moving either way. And question is, are you on that train or are you on a different train? Are you there in the moment or are you not? And it's maybe a little bit more challenging in communication in verbal communication with one another to sense that feeling because there are maybe is a lot of sort of allowance within there's there's less of a indicator of whether we're actually in the groove or not uh, so some of what i'm doing for example let's just take it to right now in this moment because that's the only moment that's ever happening take it to right now as i'm talking to you i'm asking myself am i feeling resonance with fred right now am i with fred's groove uh, you know, if Fred is playing disco and I'm playing jazz, we're going to be in this sort of a different groove together. If you're in this sort of funky... I'm not going to be playing disco. <laughs> Say, okay, don't, look, we won't use disco. Say it's funk, though. Say it's some good, like, right. Sly in the Family Stone oh, funk. God, you're happen. playing some Sly in the Family Stone funk, and I'm playing, like, some kind of swing or something like that. We're not going to be following the same groove there's going to be a difference in the resonance of the communication which is going to be a tangible difference so part of how i am with you right now is making my best effort to be in resonant communication with you and that's not even a mental process that is sort of a whole system experience vibrational resonance mm. 
Well, this is, brings up another point that I don't think I've ever spoken to before, but you know, in this world of maybe like trying to be resonant or double checking myself or getting that while you spoke, I got off track for a moment, or I, am I really listening? Am I listening to your words? And am I just looking at you and noticing your, how handsome you are? Am I like looking at the guitar? Am I thinking about what I'm going to say next? Am I, uh, do, do I notice that you're actually putting together complicated thoughts, but I was only listening in three or four word sections and any of that where I'm uh, double checking or trying to move my thoughts out of the way in an effort to be resonant as if listening is another instrument inside of this communication jam. Like you have a guitar over here and I'm the you know, the French horn over there as the listener for you at lead guitar, I can see that any time I get derailed by a self-driven thought, emotion, feeling, physical sensation, anything like that, I uh, indeed do get derailed from what would be likely considered pure resonance. And we start looking at the the effort that it takes to actually being present inside of listening and therefore the effort that it takes for the speaker to be compelling enough to be heard and understanding the value of listening enough to be able to mm. deliver chords and and cadences and and sequences and stanzas inside of our speaking so that, you know, you sometimes call me like the vocal Hendrix or something. But the real idea here is that you have to be able to deliver music that lands effectively on the chords that that will resonate with what it is that you are trying to communicate with your words in the first place. And it becomes a dual responsibility to jam together. And not only one of us is speaking, actually, we're both speaking inside of this resonance relationship right now, because you're listening, perhaps, frankly, is even more important and more crucial than any kind of nonsense that's dri- dripping out of my you know, vocal cords and mouth at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Great, great jam, man. Great jam. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, and it's a constant update. It's it's the combination. The way I see it is, it's a combination of effort and non-effort. Uh, and what I mean by that is, the effort is I have to want to pay attention to you. I have to want to pay attention to you, and I have to want to pay attention to me. I have to want those two things. I want to. I'm going to. I have to have a genuine interest in you. And then I have to have a genuine interest in me. And then I have to have a genuine interest in the art of exploration and adventure to see where this goes together. That's really, if you think about what happens in a jam session, it's really a genuine interest in what can be created together. Let's see what happens here. We're going to improvise together. We're going to use our instruments in this situation. We're using the instrument of our physical body, our mind, and our voice. It doesn't sound like music, but it has all of the same components as music. You could argue that the voice as it's coming out of our mouths, even though it's relatively monotone, it's rhythmic, it has a vibration, it has frequency, it has meaning, it has all of the elements of music. So essentially, as I'm communicating to you right now, I'm jamming on my physical instrument of my body with you right now on the adventure and exploration of seeing what happens 
when we explore together. Some people are going to like it. Some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to change the channel. Some people are going to tune in more. But really, ultimately, that can't really matter. You that That has to be secondary. What has to be primary is the interest on both of our parts to active listening, the interest in each other, no matter whether or not we believe in the other person's opinion or belief or whatever, still a genuine interest in that person and what that person has to say. And then a genuine interest in how we can play together. And I think it's in that playfulness that things unfold. You know, you never hear musicians go into a jam session and say, we got to really work at this. Mm. No, it's to play. It's play. You practice. You practice your chords. You practice your scales. You practice your rhythm. You practice all of those things so that you can get together and play. And we are here together to play in our authentic voice to the best of our ability right now. And we are seeing how that unfolds in communication right now. And that's going to be a different type of jam session that you and I have than it's going to be when you and your wife communicate later tonight, you're going to have an entirely different jam session because it's going to be a different person, which comes back to what you were saying earlier uh, when I first popped on around how there are all these different aspects of Fred that could be considered sort of sub identities of the, the great Brahmin Fred experience. You know, there are all of, there's the undoctor, there's the Freddy, there's, the version of you that's still a teenager to a certain degree. There's the version of you that's been a psychiatrist for 30 plus years or whatever it's been. There are all these different sort of sub threads to the, 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 the ultimate absolute reality, which, you know, include is inclusive of all of those things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You mentioned, you know, there's a, there, there is an interesting thing. You could say that, um, so you could say that our conversation, resonant as it is, and I like to think that our conversation is uh, generally way, uh, way more resonant than any conversation that I'm used to in the world up until now with you specifically. Um, one thing that's worth noting is our conversation does, in fact, change. Um, fundamentally, when we're aware that there are third, like we're aware Doug's in the Doug's in the uh, you know Doug's in the um, tech room right now, we're aware that it's likely that at least one listener somewhere on the flipping planet is listening to us right now. We're you know, and because there is at least someone else listening. Uh, the uh, choices of our words, we may not get as down and dirty, or we may not get as intellectual, or we may not take it down some degree, some place, thinking that uh, the function of us playing music actually is in some way, the music we're playing now is in some way um, geared towards or at least being uh, uh, um, uh, altered or... Um, uh, contributive to the fact that there is an audience or a listenership that is taking us on. So this conversation that we're having yeah. on Zoom yeah. uh, is altered in that case. So, and let me just say Agreed. the phone number. The phone number for people who are listening and really want to join us, this would be a, a gangbuster time to give us a call. 
uh, yeah. would and join the jam session, right? We so could like, use someone else in this jam session, right? Yeah, let's now. let's rock and roll with another. We person. could use some cowbell. Do we have any yeah. cowbell out there? Cowbell. We'll get a cowbell player. One eight 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 six two seven. 6008. If you got a cowbell you want to bring into this conversation, uh, we are in with you. And even if you can pull over on the side of the road, if you're in the middle of Bangkok, it's probably, I, you know, maybe there's a traffic jam. Or if you're in Singapore, I'm sure there's a, you know, a good side of the road you could pull aside or Arkansas where I, I don't care where you are. It, we'd love to hear from you. Give it don't a pull over to the side of the road in Arkansas. What's that? Oh, there's no side of the road. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, go at Arkansas people. Some of our best listeners. Could be from Arkansas. 1-888-627-608. You know, the Clintons, the Clintons, uh, let's just let's just keep going. We'll just keep going. And 1-888-627-6008. Give us a call. Yeah, cool. Yeah. No, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's 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 uh audience specific, it's a mood specific. Uh there's there's so many different things. It's a it's a dynamic process, which I think we touched on last time we chatted that there is nothing static about authenticity Mm -hmm. that authenticity first of all we have to get out of this notion that authenticity is somehow equated with a sort of an amalgamation of your personal opinions which i think a lot of people believe that that is the case that if they are being authentic and what it means is that they have their opinions and they're communicating their opinions in such a way where they feel fully behind the opinions they're communicating and therefore they are being authentic. But that is not authenticity. And authenticity is a much more dynamic process. And uh, frankly, it's a, it's, it's, it doesn't have necessarily a, a, a content associated with it. It's not, it's a, it's a more, it's less tangible than that. It's more of a feeling sense than it is something that has anything to do with anything tangible. And, and, and truth is truth to an individual is not uh, based in the sort of dualistic notion of right or wrong. Truth is a deeper sensing feeling of I am connected to a sense of truth of my voice, my, myself, my communication. And I am both uh, curious and and engaged and simultaneously surrendered too. And I think that's the other piece that we, that's where I was saying earlier, is it involves both effort and non-effort, both the effort it takes to actually show up and engage, and then the non-effort, which is to relax around my opinions and agenda enough so that I can truly listen and be in the moment. Yeah, it's, it's, this is really great. I have, let's see if I can get to the next next piece that I've been thinking about while you've been talking. So I haven't really heard Yeah, all the shit that you've been thinking about that was not related to listening to me at no, all. No, not yeah. at all. I, didn't, I missed most of it. <laughs> but I was thinking about something that was probably more important than what you were saying. And so no, I uh, get that. I get, yeah. I think that what you were thinking about had way more relevance than what I was just communicating. So yeah. It's, now it's, you've already forgotten it, which just shows how on the scale of relevance, my communication was way down because mm-hmm. even the thing that was more important and more was relevant was still forgettable to you. 
Well, I wouldn't take it personally. So I'm going to try to get it back right here. What I what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you when you're, you've told me, and I haven't been in nearly the jam sessions. And Sam is an unbelievable guitarist. For those of you who don't know, and I think we'll have him guitar play next time he comes on. Um, is that you become um, a vessel for what is for what is being expressed. This isn't even your music. At some point, it just starts being like, again, like Hendrix, like we talked about, just it's just, just flowing through you. And you're just the expressive uh, uh, tool to get whatever spirit is coming through you that you get to then be in tune with that on a momentary, momentary basis and get to deliver that true voice through your music. And the more you can do that, again, pointing at Jimmy, uh, it starts to be ridiculously magical that it's so on the spot that there's no time between uh, uh, choosing to say what you do and saying what you do. Like they're the same. They're the same. You just like spontaneously running, letting the letting the faucet run through you. Um, it seems like with words and choices, because it's polluted by this notion of thoughts and emotions and feelings. You know, do what do I think about that? What do I think about what he's saying? What you know, and that I can only do one thing at a time. That it's much harder, or it's a, a a taller order to simply be that when you speak, you are simply a vessel of musicality, considerably like what you are when you're a musician in a orchestra or a band. But would it be closer to being authentic if I would open myself up entirely and somehow disregard thoughts, emotions and feelings, which are frequently toxins to me uh, speaking authentically? uh, Would it be closer to be saying that if I would speak like I was a horn player in a band, uh, you know, uh, that that would be closer to authenticity, just simply using my body as a vessel and not interfering with it as if I have something to think about it and then offer an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, one of the things that I've been sort of sensing you doing that you haven't told me that you're doing, but I'm kind of sensing that you're doing just naturally right now as you're, as you're communicating is an exercise that I actually used to do all the time. That's a very interesting to do. And that is to speak faster than you can think. And if you can speak faster than you can think, you work on speaking faster than you can think, you just go to blah, 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 blah. it actually, it feels funny at first, but then you realize that you're overriding your tendency to be in a space of self-examination and sort of trying to find the right words to say, et cetera. And it sort of overrides that tendency to be listening to thoughts about the conversation versus actually communicating from just trusting what's actually here for you right now. And I think it's in that trusting of what's here for you right now that there's more authenticity that tends to be revealed. And I think that uh, people are generally a little bit afraid to, to speak from that place because well, you know, we want to sound good. We want to sound intelligent. I, I'm afraid to speak from that place. I want to sound good. I don't want to sound like an idiot. I want to, you know, my, I, I, and, um, and then I have to ask myself, okay, well, am I actually limiting myself in certain respects, in certain moments by trying to make what I am saying sound somehow coherent? Or is there, is there a way in which I'm somehow creating an unnecessary obstacle to my full expression 
by being concerned that it's a coherent communication. Maybe so, maybe not. I don't know. It's just no, maybe so. Checking. Yeah. Yeah, of course you are. Most likely you know. so. Yeah, yeah, most likely so. Yeah. And, and and look, and I, I it's not something to give yourself crap about because I think we're all doing it. We're so interested. You know, there is such a high value being placed on sounding good or, you know, and then also on, even though I'm creating these notes called words spontaneously, once I say them, the world holds me entirely responsible for the note that I created without any rehearsal at all. I didn't even know what the next word was that I was going to say. And then if I say it, people say, you said this. It's like, I I guess I did. So I must have meant it. And if I must have meant it, then I guess I'm responsible for it. And if I'm responsible for it, I guess you can lambast me for saying it. But it was in the spur of the moment. And all I was doing was being a vessel for the instrument called creation that was running through me to say whatever it is I had to say. So fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, we got this interesting inquiry in the chat. Do you want to read this, Fred? And oh, yeah. and uh, Let's see what we got people who channel spirit say become uh, a personality that it's like another person entirely. Is this considered authentic? So that's really interesting. People who channel spirit, ah, I see, become a personality that's like another, like Sybil. Okay, so there are some people who channel, right? Who channel. Are they being self-expressive? I think that's what he's asking. Is it? Are they being authentic when you can just sit there and just like become clairvoyant or speak to the truth of another being, have that run through you? Is that authentic? What do you say? Well, I, again, I think it's important to look at what we mean by authentic and the the what where things get a little strange is where we all have our own judgments about right and wrong and truth and falsehood and so forth. And, uh, you know, we have to have a certain amount of discernment to tell if someone's contribution in terms of what they are communicating through their voice is of value or is ultimately misleading. And, you know, the interesting thing is you could have someone who's being completely authentic and they could be also unconsciously misleading at the same time. Um, For example, I think that Donald Trump, despite all of the stuff that he said that is clearly lying, I think that he believes on some level that he's communicating from an authentic place. So the question then becomes, is that his true voice? Well, apparently it is. Apparently his true voice is the voice that is loaded with a lot of falsehoods and misinformation, but it's true for him. And so so there's a qualitative judgment that I don't think any single individual is capable of making when it comes to being the judge to discern, make that discernment. And I think we all have to make those choices for ourselves in terms of our own discernment to decide what is and what isn't good for us to take in. Now, one of the interesting things about uh, listening to others and what we take in from others is that when we have uh, dedicated a certain amount of uh, our listening to believing that we are listening to an authority figure, that has a very different impact on our brains than if we are listening to someone with a, in a state of skepticism. So those whom we admire, we innately have a bias towards believing, even if they are completely full of shit. 
uh, because we have deemed that they are an authority figure. And because of that, the communication bypasses the skeptical part of our brain and goes straight into the subconscious and becomes true for us. We start to believe the same things and which is what we see all the time with authority figures. It's why a lot of people can hear a diagnosis from a doctor that may or may not be accurate, but if they give that doctor full authority, their subconscious already starts to work on making that diagnosis true. Oh my goodness. And hence we roll back to undoctor there. And thank you for doing that. We, uh, we're running out of time. This was a great conversation as usual. Um, Listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, please let us know. We're thinking of making this a regular thing or as often as Sam is willing to come on to be co-hosting True Voice with Dr. Fred. And we would change the name to maybe The Wizard and Warrior or something like that. And uh, uh, really, uh, we like to have a good time and we like to explore this uh, conversation deeply. You're welcome to those of you out there saying thank you. Thank you for asking for for acknowledging this. And thank you for really enjoying it because it really is great. And this, this kind of stuff needs to be broadcast, Sam. I, I think we have a, you know, an opportunity to speak our music forward such that people can appreciate, learn, accept, and, and uh, even dig in and imagine and create uh, communication at, uh, resonance among themselves. I remain, even at the end of this hour-long threat to anything I used to think was real before the hour started, I remain entirely convinced that um, healing can only take place in the face of direct and total human connection. The more connected humans are, that's where healing takes place, perhaps the only prerequisite. I thank you for being a healing source for me, a resonating uh, different uh, person, someone who isn't me, who gets to hear and speak and, and be with me. I thank you for coming on to the show today. And if there's any last words, this is your space. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have to close this thing down and tell our listeners to hurry back next week. All right. Thanks, all. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for your help, Tech, and thanks for your help, uh, all your listeners. And uh, feel free to uh, uh, shout out and let us know how we're doing. You could do that by subscribing, liking, and commenting or reviewing. Um, you can find me at Dr. Fred at WelcomeToHumanity.net. And Sam, why don't you leave your email if someone wants to talk to you? Yeah, you can reach out to me at Sam at ZenWarriorTraining.com. So Sam at ZenWarriorTraining.com, Dr. Fred at WelcomeToHumanity.net. And we'll catch you all on the flip side. Thanks so much for playing along as you have. It's really great to have you here. Bye for Cheers, now. Love folks. you, Sam. Yeah. Love you too. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to thank you for getting through another episode of True Voice with Dr. Fred. Wasn't that great? It is so much fun to interact with people and then interact with my listenership about really finding True Voice and then bringing it forward. I really have never done anything more important than this, and I'm finally aligned with myself by helping others find their True Voice. Let's find your alignment. What do you really want in your life? 